0: Before we jump into this episode, I have to tell you about something new I've been supplementing with to help us get over sickness as a family and support digestion. And that is High M.G.O. Manuka Honey from Menakora. Yes, I said honey. Manuka honey has antibacterial, antiviral, anti-inflammatory, and antioxidant properties. MGO is actually the organic compound responsible for manuka honey's strong antibacterial properties. I've been wanting to experiment with high MGO honey for a while, not just like the honey you buy at the grocery store, but this actual supplemental high MGO honey. And I found Menacora, which produces this unbelievably rich and creamy ethical honey from New Zealand. It has the most amazing caramel taste and is specifically designed to support immunity and digestion. Menacora makes honey with a range of MGO. For example, if you get their honey with an MGO of 200, it's great for daily wellness support, whereas their MGO of 850, which is what I have, is great for immune and digestive support. When we were sick for two weeks straight over Christmas, my honey arrived halfway through and I immediately opened it up and like took a spoonful to stop my chronic cough and this might sound weird so bear with me but I've actually used it on cuts and wounds and even put a little bit around my nose since it was so irritated from blowing my nose and I woke up the next day and it had completely healed overnight you can add this honey to your tea or coffee or eat it straight from the spoon like the kids and I do in fact I just gave it to my daughter from the spoon 20 minutes ago because she woke up with a super high fever so there you go Menucora's super honey is available in a range of easy-to-use formats, including squeeze bottles and compostable honey sticks. If you head to menucora.com forward slash wellfed, you'll automatically get a free pack of honey sticks with your order. That's a $15 value. Again, that's menucora, m a n u k. O R A dot com forward slash well fed. That will get you a free pack of honey sticks with your order. It's called Honey with Superpowers for a Good Reason. So get on it and try this delicious, creamy caramel honey and you won't look back. You are now listening to Well Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to WellFedWomen at gmail.com. And you can keep up with the show on Instagram at WellFedWomen. Welcome and hello again. I am so happy you're here. I'm your host, Noelle Tar. My website is coconutsandkettlebells.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, a certified personal trainer. This is episode number 414, and I am here with my co-host, Stephanie Ruper, founder of PaleoForWomen.com, author of Sexy by Nature. She's also the co-author of a book with me called Coconuts and Kettlebells. Today, our topics will include how alcohol can impact your sleep and... Being sober, curious, which I thought was an interesting term, but we're going to talk about that. Getting back into exercise and adjusting your nutrition postpartum and date nights when things get boring. Hey, Steph. Hey. Hey. How is it over there? (laughs) It's good over (laughs) here. What about you over there? Decent. Decent. I'm hanging in. Um, we didn't get to talk about this last time we recorded, but, you know, if you were on the struggle bus over Christmas break, you were not alone. Cause let me tell you what, this year was the worst, the absolute worst. Um, I'm pretty sure the kids were just sharing absolutely everything. And most of the people in my life had the stomach flu or the stomach bug or the the flu over Christmas break. So, um... Like now that we're, nobody is up in the middle of the night, you know, we, there's a point Ken and I sleep in different rooms when the kids are sick, because if they wake me up, I can't deal. So, um, I can't get back to sleep and I was sick too. And he was the only one that wasn't sick. So he was sleeping in in a room with the monitors and he, there was one point he was just up constantly. He's like, yeah, well, Maverick got got up at 12 and Stella's up at four. Then she got back up at (laughs) six. Sorry. Sounds really rough. Um, But I was I was dealing with it, too. And whatever it was, it lasted like two weeks. It just lingered. So now that we're healthy and we're strong, I'm like, dude, we're good. Let's just keep this trajectory. I do not don't want it again. Um, Luckily, I didn't have to podcast at all during that. Otherwise, you guys would have heard the the snot. But um,
1: so we're good. Did you get sick at all on Christmas break or over that time? Nope. I have finally entered in my life. For the first time, I'm about to jinx the heck out of myself right now. <laughs> I'm one of those people who's like, I don't get sick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I used to be a bucket of sick. I honestly mm. think the change for me has been that I got so much vitamin D this summer. I got so much sunlight and now I had no idea that I had a vitamin D deficiency, but I'm pretty sure I did in retrospect. And who knows? I mean, I think... Uh, I did, I did have a little bit of something in the, in the fall, but I'm, I'm getting sick less than I used to. I'll say that. And I just, hmm. also, I don't, I don't do a whole lot. I don't see a whole lot of different people, you know, when I, when I'm yeah visiting fam. So yeah, I've been fine.
0: Unfortunately, I, I swap bodily fluids with many other people, which it's just the way it goes. Like I try to separate my kids or I try to like keep when they're sick. I'm like try, you know, try to keep them away, but it's like eventually at some point somebody's going to sneeze in my face. It's just I can't I
1: That's can't funny. not
0: I can't stop it. Yeah. Um so where were you? Oh, thinking back. I'm like, "Where were you last summer? What were you in Boston? How did you get so much sun?"
1: I was in Lyon, France. Okay. Uh, Okay. I would describe as the south of France, but there's very strong feelings. Everybody's got very strong feelings about what counts as south and north of France. Um, and but for me, it's extremely south because all summer it's 90 and blue skies. I saw one cloud for 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. And I was really intentional about getting sunlight and what a huge difference it it made. You know, I was really struggling with that whole histamine thing. Mm hmm. For years, and since then, I've been fine. Wow! Uh, Yeah, that 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 really that had to. I can't I can't put my finger on anything else. And I tell people these kinds of things, and they're like, "Well, you know, it could have been, it could have been, could have been." I'm like, "Well, sure, Mm -hmm. this is my working hypothesis, and things happen for reasons, and that's to the best of my knowledge the reason. I might be wrong, Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that was cool." I now know, you know, and now I'm going to be very, very, very intentional. Um, supplementing with vitamin D doesn't always go great for me. I'm I'm not sure I, uh, how to, I haven't figured out how to do it right yet.
0: And you have pretty fair, is your skin pretty sensitive? So are you like, where do you intentionally get this on? I'm assuming you keep your face covered or whatever, but is it more of like your extremities? You're exposing your shoulders, your arms, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah so it's funny I was very intentional about picking the my my clothing all somewhat super hot so little shorts and skirts and tank tops and mm-hmm. I layer and so even in the so in the fall when it started getting cool and I was indoors for class and stuff I would still identify cafes that had sun facing at the right time and oh, cool. go get it, go get an espresso and take off my cardigan and make sure I was wearing a tank top with spaghetti straps, you know? And so I kind of very intentionally picked my clothes every single day so I could maximize the amount of sun exposure I got for an hour at lunch. Uh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It's a, it's a little cloudier now that it's winter, but I, it's still sunnier there than it is in Detroit or mm-hmm. Oxford, so uh, yeah,
0: I'll be okay. interesting. Yeah, how do it think about that? Because I have, I grew up living on the ocean front. We spent a lot of time outside, a lot of time at the beach. Now we're just an outdoor-ish kind of family, but we also live in a place that isn't getting like we have very real summers. We have warm springs and warm falls, so we get more sun than most probably. Um, and I wonder if that has kind of played into I don't know a mm. lot I, I it would really be interesting to do i mean, I, I I can't imagine if you did a study and you looked at people who spent more time <laughs> in the clouds and in the rain and all that kind of stuff if they had more chronic disease or illness than not, but you I mean, we know how impactful
1: vitamin D is. So well, um, sorry, they have really conclusively demonstrated that like people who live in those kinds of regions, I think A more I chronic like, illness, like really strongly, Oh, chronic illness, not like recurring flus and stuff. I mean, it's, it's quite clear that, you know, disease picks up in the winter and there's tons of theories about why, but one yeah. of them is about yeah. sun exposure. Um, yeah, whereas where it's always like, well, you're spending more time indoors. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's tons of reasons. Uh, yeah. and yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Um, um, I, I said really conclusively. That's so funny. I actually don't know that, but I think I've read the data may suggest. <laughs> you're talking about vitamin D deficiency in particular. Sun exposure. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, living in regions with more or less sun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just wondering. Like, do do people in Canada or people, you know in the frozen tundra, so to speak, man, over Christmas break, there was like a massive, you know, snowstorm and people were, it was pretty tragic. But I mean, a lot of people who I know that live in Montana or whatever, were just indoors, constantly snowed in. And you just wonder like, how does that impact somebody's health long-term? You know, what, what are the effects long-term on overall health? Like, since we know what low vitamin D does in terms of impacting you know chronic illness autoimmunity all that kind of stuff but yeah super interesting Mm -hmm. um i do have a personal question for you before we jump in this is just something i was kind of spitballing with my husband now that you are a very well-traveled and you have experience in london and france and spain and all the things if someone were to travel to europe Let's say somebody from the United Hypothetically
1: States. Hypothetically speaking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Well, it's just like an idea. I'm like, you know, I've been to Switzerland and I have been to just briefly for a day, went and visited Italy because everything surrounds Switzerland. Lucerne, gorgeous. But it's not necessarily something I would like want to take my family back to because it's hard to get around the Alps and all the things. But you have a really unique perspective of spending time living, not just touring, visiting, but living in, you know, England and France and all the things. So like, if you were to visit, if a family were to visit and just
1: enjoy an area, what would, what's your favorite or what would you recommend? Well, well, I, I don't know what I would, I mean, honestly, so I've, I've lived, um, I've spent several months in, uh, Northern Italy. I've spent several months in Spain. I've lived uh, several months now in France and in England, um, uh, tiny slices of life there and habitual life somewhere is way different from being a tourist somewhere, right? So yeah, um, it's very interesting if for and also for a family which I've never which I've never done different challenge, yeah, yeah, totally. And also, what kind of stuff does your family like to do? Are you urban? going to go see all the sites at the museums talk about politics i know that you just you visit the that the mall the national monuments on New oh York we Day. love dc yeah I, I, i'm yeah it, that's not necessarily because i
0: love politics it's just because i love yeah i love the country i love this country i do but i love the um i just love some of the history and yeah i mean we do enjoy that kind of stuff like like I think that that makes a well-rounded trip in general is like museums and the sites. And like, I mean, it would be awesome to go to Rome and Italy, but like, is that, is that, uh, so a lot of people were talking about how Paris is not as great. Like you the Americans have this thing where they would talk about how Paris is not as great as, as you <laughs> think
1: it would be. Um, but I don't Nothing, know. Nothing. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. Nothing is ever the same as you expect. And when you Marshall, go somewhere yeah. with high expectations, my number one recommendation for like a my experience of having a fun night out is that it's always on the times I don't expect. I <laughs> mean, not like a hundred percent of the time, but yeah. Um and I also, you know, when you're going somewhere totally new, what I try to do is like have a have a method and kind of have a vague idea. Like I've got a big flow chart in my head of like a bunch of possibilities, and then I let them unfold as I get there. I think a big problem people have when they travel is they have a very specific itinerary of what they want to do. And that's super cool. But you lose, you kind of lose some of the capacity to capacity to be surprised and delighted and to inhabit wonder in a space, you know, people, I mean, of course, Paris is commercial. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I always say to people like Lyon is lovely because it's a French city without being Paris. I'm not saying you should go there, but um and there are any European city that you go to is going to have the tourist stuff. Mm-hmm. And that can be really cool. Going to Buckingham Palace, yeah, I'm going to go walk past a guard wearing a thing. It that's a move <laughs> and there's like a bunch of geese and they're a little aggressive, but like, aggressive you know, geese. And, and, and so, yeah. and swans. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think I think any of the places, any of the major cities that kind of call to you because it has the feel that you're interested in, I would follow that. Because the cities do have personalities, and I think our feeling of the personality of certain cities is generally... Correct. But Hmm. like again, Paris is hard because it's a huge city and a huge subway system. And those things are a part of going there. And it is quite expensive. And all of the, you know, most of the big cities are um quite expensive. Wait, come to Oxford. I'll go with you. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, if you go to France or whatever, I'll I'll do what I can to meet up with you. But um yeah, you know, and and what those are good tips. What kind of explorers are your kids? You know, what kind of stuff would they want to? like race ahead to and find out. And um, yeah, or is there something particular that somebody has a dream of trying? Like, I must have a croissant made in this place. Like, go find it. Go find that one chocolate made by that one chocolatier and that one little, you know, whatever it is, or that one saint, you know, or or that one piece of art or Mm -hmm. something you've always wanted to see. Because then you like, then you're on an adventure. I don't know. Just some ideas because I I can't, I can't recommend like where would be a great family friendly place, but you're kind of like answering
0: my question in the way that we answer all the questions, which is like, <laughs> there's no one right answer.
1: Do what works for you. <laughs> Tips on how to think about what works for you. Um, <laughs> okay. Are you ready to talk about booze? Alcohol?
0: Yes. Yeah. Booze. Yeah. Okay. More question number yeah. one is from Danielle. She says, can we talk about the effects of sleep? Effects of sleep. Uh, impact on sleep after consuming alcohol one drink versus two drinks etc how does it affect REM sleep deep dives welcome so this was a this was a
1: challenge from Danielle (laughs) do your deep Deep dive dive, challenge accepted uh so I'm going to start with alcohol in general and then we'll circle back to sleep Um, yeah yeah perfect So alcohol is a toxin and your body's like, yo, I recognize this as a toxin immediately. (laughs) Um, So what happens is uh, when you drink it, it gets absorbed into your bloodstream quite quickly. And what people say is true. If you've got food in your system, it happens more slowly. So far is the best I can tell. There's tons of studies on this. So I didn't wade completely through them and formulate what I consider a mature opinion or a hill I could die on. Uh, But it seems to be the case that the precise macronutrients don't matter all that much. Just Food in general is, you know, going to slow. If there's stuff in there, it's going to it's going to slow it down. Um, and maybe I would, maybe if anything, lean into fat because alcohol is fat phobic, and actually having a higher body fat percentage will slow all of that down. You know, the 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 whole alcohol pro um, toxification thing. And so the hypothesis for me working is that consuming fat um, might also be and may play a role in why people. Have a natural craving for for greasy foods, or say that they do, but most. Uh, but I also read a lot of blogs where people are like skeptical of that. So uh, anyway, lots of opinions. So you you consume alcohol; it goes into your bloodstream at a certain rate, depending on what's going on in your gut, and from there, it does cross the blood brain barrier, and in your brain, it attaches to glutamate. Which is a very powerful neurotransmitter, transmitter, and it's excitatory normally, and it makes glutamate quiet down. It's like hush, 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 and it attaches to GABA and makes it get a little bit excited. It's like all right, let's go. And GABA is inhibitory, so those are two means by which it slows things down, like on a neurotransmitter kind of level. But of course, it's it's kind of affecting the connectivity of your brain and slowing it down in general and disinhibiting. Um, the parts of your brain that inhibit you. <laughs> so this is why it is often uh, a little bit sedative and a little bit uh, calming while at the same time disinhibiting you. And your liver starts going to work on it. And the detoxification of alcohol in your liver, it's the primary site of detox. Um, and the primary way that it is detoxed is through two steps. First, your liver breaks it down into one thing uh, and that's a that's an alde, that's an aldehyde um and I want to get it right what kind of aldehyde it is um acetylaldehyde I believe <laughs> I have notes um yeah so um it gets broken down into yeah acetylaldehyde and then um another enzyme breaks that down but the problem is that that one the intermediary feels really bad <laughs> so your body kind of immediately processes the alcohol which it's identified a toxin into another thing that's toxic and this is where nausea vomiting, flushing, all kinds of stuff comes from uh, and this is more rate limiting it's a it's a kind of a slower detox process and it's why uh, it like creates a little bit of a traffic jam. <laughs> And a big. And part you're saying of it. after the first
0: detoxification in the liver, that's when we start to feel crappy because that
1: new form—that's what causes nausea and all that. Yeah. Oh. To the best of my knowledge, and and okay. that's an oversimplification. But like, yeah. yeah so yeah. like, the alcohol has the the like fuzzy woo effect in your brain, and then as your liver is processing it, I mean, that's why hangovers like kick out, kick in later, right? As your mm-hmm. liver starts processing it, you you make this intermediary. Um, got it. Yeah. So, um, so it gets converted to that. And then that is a little bit slower. And this is why like about a drink an hour, both of the reactions happen, like kind of you, you get to do both of them, they say, like, at least, a, you know, no more than a drink an hour. And if you do more than a drink an hour, and this is a huge generalization, it's obviously very genetic and person-dependent, um, then you'll create this kind of, like, backlog or traffic jam stuck at the acetaldehyde um, waiting for the next, uh, you know, en- enzyme. The um, aldehyde dehydrogenase is what it's called, the second one, to then break it down into acetate, which becomes water and carbon dioxide, and then it's out. Um And very interestingly, I read that, you know, we always talk about the amount of food in your stomach in terms of slowing down the rate of becoming drunker. But as it turns out, and I only read one study about this, so I might be completely wrong, but this one study claimed that uh, with a 500 calorie meal or something like 500 calorie meal before drinking, actually was was a faster detox rate. So if you didn't eat, you were 45% slower at detoxing these things and the authors were just like because stimulating the liver to produce these enzymes maybe kind of thing. That is weird. Um, yeah, it was just one study so I might be completely wrong about that. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, so those are some things about alcohol in general. Um, and then- You want me in- to
0: talk about REM sleep in general, and then we can go into alcohol and sleep and how it impacts REM?
1: Yeah, sure. And then we can talk about like tips because- Yeah, and, yeah. And hydration, yeah.
0: Okay. So I didn't know this much about REM sleep to be brutally honest. So that's why I did the the dive into REM sleep. So there are four stages of sleep. Again, I always have known like the, the general thing, but- Um, The first two stages are basically different variations of light sleep. And then um, the third stage is, and some researchers call these different things, but we'll just call them stages. The third stage is deep sleep. And then the last stage is REM. So what we're saying is REM. It's rapid eye movement sleep. It's actually a really important transition stage of sleep that helps us go from this deep sleep to you know, being um, easily awakened or, you know, moves our body into this phase where then we can wake up. So REM sleep is a stage of sleep associated with um, dreaming and memory consolidation, which is why it does get a lot of um, a lot of people talk about it. It's considered the most mentally restorative phase of sleep. So REM sleep was actually first discovered in the 1950s when scientists studying sleeping infants noticed that there were distinct periods when their eyes moved rapidly from side to side. As adults, we only spend about 25% of sleep in REM But newborns spend most of their time in REM sleep since it promotes brain development and their brains are rapidly growing and developing. At least that's what they think. During REM sleep, your brain processes new learnings and motor skills from the day. Some are committed to memory. Others are sort of maintained. And then your brain kind of decides which ones to delete and I'm like, wait a second, how how do you know which ones to delete? But it's your brain, it knows. Um, some memory consolidation also takes place in deep sleep, um, which is the stage before REM, but a lot of this happens in REM as well. So during stage three, just to kind of, because um, a lot of people talk about deep sleep. So during stage three, again, deep sleep, right before we go into REM sleep, waking is very difficult. So that's when you're like, wake up, wake up, and your kid's like, Out completely or you can move them from your arms into the crib because they're just out because you sat in there and rocked or fell asleep or whatever um that's like the beauty stage for me because i can come in and do things and whatever move my child and they're out um and waking is difficult if you were to awaken in this state you would be super foggy and you'd have some sort of like almost like confusion and all that kind of stuff you wouldn't really remember where you were um and in deep sleep it's interesting because This is where our body repairs itself. It does boost our immune function and then it can restore bone, muscle, and tissue. So you hear a lot, we'll hear in general, you hear a lot about deep sleep because it's important and you hear a lot about REM sleep because it's important, although all the stages of sleep are important. Multiple studies um, of both like humans and animals suggest that being deprived of REM sleep interferes with memory formation and REM sleep deprivation disrupts the brain's ability to generate new cell- cells. I saw a study. I did not, I didn't um, grab the link. I can try to find it. But there's an interesting study of like college students and they found that the more College. The college students slept specifically. Even if if there were certain college students took, especially the ones who took naps, were did better on tests and and were able to recall things better because they spent more time in red REM sleep. So, um, okay. So let's talk about alcohol and and sleep and the impacts.
1: So I have I have always known that. Alcohol was not great for my sleep. Um, and, and overall, it's it's quite simple. Uh, at first, alcohol is really inhibitory. And then there's always a bounce back. Brains operate on feedback loops. If you inhibit glutamate, when the inhibitory thing goes away, you're going to have extra. <laughs> and if you stimulate GABA, when you come back down, you're going to have less. And that means uh, that, you know, that your normal rhythms for that are disrupted. Another couple of things that impact sleep that I'll mention, and then I think Noel has has more to share from this deep dive. Um, Your electrolyte Mm -hmm. and your blood sugar levels are both important for your cortisol levels, which are important for your sleep. So I don't know if any of y'all, you know if you ever eat like a like a big blood sugar spiking meal or something before bed and then maybe you wake up in the middle of the night and you feel super alert, might be because your blood sugar went up and came down and there was crash and cortisol. Uh, and then also, of course, if your electrolytes are really imbalanced, if you're dehydrated, if your kidneys are like bah! electrolytes, that can also be stimulatory. Um, to your adrenals and to your brain. So uh, those things can also wake you up once or repeatedly. And then if your neurotransmitters aren't really in sync, uh, I can spend, you know, if depending on how I tried to sleep and all that sort of thing, like I can be up and down and up and down and up and down and just like never fall back asleep because all of these different things are going on. Uh, So, yeah. Yeah. Over to you.
0: Interesting about the electrolytes. I hadn't thought about that. So uh, one of the links, uh, one of the studies that I will link to in the show notes, this is called Alcohol and the Sleeping Brain. It's like a massive review of like the just tons of literature. Um, Like Stephanie said, alcohol is technically a central nerve. If you're looking for an easy way to supplement with minerals, I have a free eight pack of electrolytes for you to grab. So listen up. One of my favorite ways to replace minerals is with Element. I started supplementing with Element after workouts and it made a huge difference in my energy and the dizziness I used to experience post-workout. Now I use it just about every day. Whether I'm feeling a bit groggy or tired, and especially when I'm sick and fighting a cold, I drink Element. Element makes grab-and-go electrolyte replacement packs. Electrolytes are minerals in your blood and other body fluids that carry an electric charge. Your cells use electrolytes to do a plethora of things, including creating energy, helping muscles contract, and balancing fluid inside and outside of cells. This is why hydrating with just water is largely inefficient because your body needs electrolytes for that water to be properly absorbed into cells. Stress and sickness deplete minerals and electrolytes, and you lose them when you sweat and go to the bathroom, so supplementation is key. Deficiencies show up as dizziness, muscle cramps, headaches, fatigue, and sleep disturbances. Element has no sugar, gluten fillers, or artificial ingredients. You just tear open a pack, pour, and stir it with water. It's also great for kids. My kids love it, and they sip. It when they're sick, like right now. Right now, everyone, including new and current customers, can get a free eight pack of Element with any order. Element comes in boxes of 30. There is free shipping on all orders, and now all orders will get a free eight pack which has all the flavors of Element. To get it, go to Drink. LMNT.com forward slash well fed and make sure to use the code well fed to get your free sample eight pack. Again, that's drink element LMNT.com forward slash well fed. Causes brain activity to slow down, so alcohol has sedative effects. If you're confused about what that means, think about caffeine, that's a stimulant. But alcohol is also kind of confusing for people because initially it's like has stimulant effects where you're excited and then it kind of brings you down. It slows down function. But technically speaking, it is a sedative and it does make you feel relaxed and sleepy, which is why a lot of people are like, oh, well, it helps like I fall asleep faster when I'm when I've had a glass of wine or whatever. There is a plethora of research, tons of it that shows alcohol especially in excess has been linked to poor sleep quality and duration there is so much research on how it affects people regardless of your age your sex the dosage the timing of consumption um it's data overload because it's not not one of those things that's you know you don't in nutrition you don't really stumble upon things that are like overly studied especially for women so um it's pretty clear both acute and chronic consumption of alcohol impacts sleep. Research shows in acute consumption prior to bedtime there's a decreased sleep onset. So in other words, you fall asleep quicker, but that there are the research shows there are pretty like significant changes to sleep architecture early in the night um, so when you drink, you actually spend more time in deep sleep and less in REM sleep. Um, So that structure changes, not necessarily for the better, like you don't want to mess with your normal sleep cycles. In the second half of the night, sleep is disrupted with increased wakefulness and or you stay in stage one sleep, which is exactly what you're just saying, Steph. And they, they say it's because you have this high blood alcohol level, then that drops off and the effects are dropping off. So now the the GABA and all that kind of stuff, once that's gone decreases, that's when you keep waking up. You're only in this light stage one sleep. You're not, now you're not getting into deep sleep, and you're not getting your REM sleep. So the more you drink, the more pronounced those effects are. Um, however, since the effects of alcohol are different from person to person, even small amounts of alcohol can reduce sleep quality for some people. So it's not just the chronic drinkers, the people who drink five drinks, it can actually impact you if you have. One drink. I will link to a two thousand and eighteen study which compared sleep quality among subjects who were consumed different amounts of alcohol. Again, this is just kind of looking at the sleep habits of it looked at about it was like four thousand adults between the ages of eighteen and sixty five. Um what it found was low amounts of alcohol. So fewer than two servings per day for men, one serving for women, decreased sleep quality by nine point three percent. Moderate amounts, which is two servings per day for men, one serving per day for women, decreased sleep quality by 24%. High amounts, more than two drinks per day for men, more than one serving per day for women, decreased sleep quality by 39.2%. It's pretty significant. (laughs) I could not find any info. This is what I was trying to find because I couldn't actually get the, um, I could only see like chunks of summaries not necessarily the data um i couldn't figure out if the people who they're saying fewer than one drink per day if these people were maybe drinking a half a drink every day for a week or if they were the people who just were drinking one drink on a Friday. friday yeah and then like one drink on a saturday and that's it i think probably both are in there but regardless of when you drink or how much you drink, it does impact or reduce REM sleep and sleep quality. Research also shows it's disrupting because when you get up in the middle of the night um, after you drink, you pee a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> Another thing with the kidneys and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you, you're you're flushing a lot out. It's dehydrating. You've got to pee, and usually you're trying to down a bunch of water because you are dehydrated. Um, and studies have also shown that alcohol use can exacerbate symptoms of sleep apnea snoring. I may have experienced that personally, not me, but hearing somebody else snore and insomnia. Um, so, uh, I find this all to be really interesting. I don't think the answer here is like, you've got to stop drinking. Like no, no, nobody should be drinking. And I mean, maybe it's, you should, maybe that's, (laughs) it is, it's a neurotoxin. It's all the things, but, um, you know, I interviewed Todd, the guy who founded dry farm wines, and he was like, don't start drinking. If you, if you don't drink, don't start. (laughs) And I love that he said that because I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, don't try to create a drinking habit. But if it's part of your routine and you do really enjoy and love wine or you love having a drink here to there socially, I think it's really important just to kind of be aware of this stuff and reduce the effects. Obviously, drinking, you know, one drink an hour, um, drinking a lot of water. Do you have any other tips? Because you said you had some.
1: Yeah, that's kind of it. Like you want to be proactive about hydrating before, uh, you know, because your cells are always in a certain state of how well hydrated am I? (laughs) Yeah. You want to be hydrated before, eat before, pace yourself. Uh, In my experience, I get terrible headaches from different kinds of alcohol, but not all of them. Uh, It depends on how they're processed. And I think the quality matters Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and how aged they are actually, Mattress, like how recently have they been opened? Because alcohol is is quite aged and then it gets older once you open it. Right. So um all of those things can sort of affect the extent to which, you know, different byproducts of the alcohol-making process are in there. And then, of course, the, you know, the rate of of your detox. And it's extremely genetic. It's extremely. You know, dependent. One other thing I will say about alcohol is, uh, you know, the way that it feels good. We haven't even touched on dependency, which is fine. We don't, that's not mm-hmm. something I feel licensed to really talk about. But, you know, alcohol and, and so many things in our lives um, participate in uh, dopamine uh, as a neurotransmitter of seeking and reward. And it's always good to make sure that your life is full of seekings and rewards that are sustainable, uh, Mm. regardless of whether you, you know, whether you can participate with alcohol. I just I find that all sorts of things that could be compelling to me, social media is on that list. Uh, Lots of stuff is on the list of, of things that that, you know. Take them or leave them, I want to make sure that I'm the one with the power to choose as much as, as much as I can. And for me, a big part of that means cultivating sources of meaning and seeking and stuff in my life that are grounded in relationship and love and church, if if that's you know something for you, all those kinds of things. So they're just like a big also while we're talking about strategies, (laughs) you know, the, the whole, the whole broader context of your life, of course, um, Mm -hmm. always impacts, you know, uh, what happens and how we participate in like, quote unquote, vice, whatever Mm -hmm. that means, you know, um, but, but by which I mean all sorts of things that exist in society that may or may not be conducive to flourishing. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I will say quality absolutely matters. That's why we do the dry farms wine. I do Ciroc vodka um, because it is grapes, and I that's I respond best to that one for me. It's less about the headaches; it's more about like the acidity on my stomach never really feels good. Um, and one of the things that I was reading, they were always they kept talking about stopping or having um, a good rule of thumb is to stop drinking three hours before bed, and. Because personally, for me, I'm like, well, I don't necessarily feel like in my adult life before we had kids and when we used to have maybe like a couple drinks on a night or New Year's Eve or whatever. um, Definitely, it impacted sleep. But now I don't feel that way. And it, if I look at how I engage with alcohol, it's usually I'm drinking it, a single drink. Um, before, like while I'm making dinner and while I'm just like, like cocktail hour, like while I'm just like hanging out, you know, chatting with my husband on a Friday night or something. Then I'll make dinner, I'll eat it. And, you know, we have at least three hours before bed for sure. So I never really have the impacts of it. Um, and I think that that's why. So you just kind of have to figure out how to integrate it into your life, but also be very aware that it is going to impact your sleep. And um, I think we have to really look hard at, without you know this is just you take it take it as you need it but like look at your own personal interactions and how you interact in your own personal dependency because it is it is a neurotoxin it it does it does put a lot of stress on your liver and it does impact hormones and it there are times when um it can be pretty detrimental to your health so you just have to um be real with yourself about that Mm -hmm. you know there's a i've talked about it there's a big culture right now of like Mama needs her wine and I need wine to deal with this, but we also need to really be aware of the impact that it's having on us. So, um, yeah. which brings me to my next question from Elizabeth, which is the topic of being sober curious. She said thoughts on alcohol in general, which I do think we just provided that non-alcohol drink options and how this all plays into gut health and mental health and health in general. So
1: any thoughts uh, just, from you? Uh, yeah, more, uh, more opportunity to um reflect on alcohol i um yeah i've i've uh, i've definitely very ebbed and flowed uh, in terms of what feels like you know i always say I, I like to i try to take a long view on things when i make decisions i often say in the long one in the long run <laughs> what would i regret least mm-hmm. and sometimes you know, that, that absolutely means, yeah, I'm going to go out for this drink with this friend. Yeah. I'm going to go out dancing. Yeah. I'm going to stay up till five. That is something I still do on occasion. Right. And, and, and and that's a something that in the long run, I look back and I'm like, yeah. And sometimes even if I have a headache the next day and I have that feeling, of like I'm never doing that again. In the long run, I'm still a little bit like, oh, well, that was a good time. Maybe alcohol didn't have to be a part of it, you know, And, and, and none of those situations what I have to drink and I do my best to surround myself with people who wouldn't ever 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 pressure me to do anything I really like being around people who want flourishing for people whatever that means and self-determination and so uh, so those things are always something that I opt into uh, for for one reason or another and uh, yeah so like in Oxford you go to talks and they have wine at four, (laughs) like, like, but there were, there were like certain environments where that's, you know, you lean into it at certain times in your life and then you don't, and then maybe you do. And that's like, that's okay. But again, this is all super, 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 super context dependent. You know, um, if it's best for you to never touch a thing, don't touch it. Mm -hmm. Don't touch it. I have friends who have never touched alcohol, right. And cool. They're missing nothing. They're missing nothing. If they wanted to try it and see what it was like, cool, you know, but, but they're missing nothing. And if you're really curious about sober in, in so many ways, you know, uh, go for it, give it three weeks or, or however amount of time would be. Yeah. Give it a few days if, you know, if, if you have a habit of some sort of kind of practice or whatever, um, see, see, see how try that on for size and there's tons of different ways to do that sort of thing like um some people do dopamine fast these days where you get rid of tons of sources of like the stimulation that you've got kind of used to you know you might like you know so you just pull out a bunch of stuff you just pull out hmm. a bunch of stuff you know it's, it's where did you like hear a- about
0: that the do- a dopamine fast
1: yeah, I'm not sure if that's the word that they use, but that's how I thought of it in my head. Yeah, um, they were doing it as a as a religious practice or some something like that, some kind of ascetic, uh, got it. some kind of ascetic practice. You know, asceticism is uh, uh, the idea of of giving things up, of of sacrifices, of self discipline, um, and then. Something often in a religious context, it's for worship or for God, but in personal practice, it's can also just be like for wellness, but asceticism discipline, you know, has, a, has its own re- rewards and orientations towards meaning. And, and, um, yeah, so like, a, like a dopamine fast, take cold showers in the morning, no social media, no, uh, football games, if you get super emotionally wrapped up and watching, fo- like identify the sources of things in your life that you feel compelled to do, but don't bring you flourishing and mm-hmm. like cut them out <laughs> like and see what happens. And we end up realizing like, oh, we don't need that. Like mama doesn't need, I could, I could have wine and that could feel relaxing or disinhibiting, but I don't need it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, And yeah. also sometimes I don't know, you know, like to each their own. But, um, I think it's, I think it's really great to kind of like examine our attachments, examine the things in our lives on which we rely. Are they conducive to our flourishing? Do they help point us towards feelings of homecoming and rightness and joy or not? Right. Mm -hmm. If they do cool. And if not, you know, no. And whenever, you know, when, 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 when we do sort of do these kinds of fasts, if we can do them in a, in a healthy way, Right? If we can do them in a way that is safe, that feels good. Um, we do find that living without them works. We do find that uh, there are joys, there are alternative joys, and maybe they are joys that are more sustainable, deeper, longer lasting, you know, the kind of thing that gets us out of bed in the morning. And then a lot of what I do, and actually it's quite uh, popular right now to talk about habits it's quite popular right now to talk about habits, uh, but I do personally really think my whole theory of free will, and I, <laughs> I won't get into it. And read my <laughs> but um, we, we have the power. We, we have habits and they steer us in certain directions and they're very ingrained and, and they're in our brain. Like our, our thoughts and our feelings go literally, they literally traverse pathways that have been walked before, right? It's, Paths of least resistance. And so what we can do is just like marginally tweak them over time, marginally tweak them by pivoting our attention to things that we think are good for us and uh, enlivening and enlightening in, in and uh, into habits, pivoting into habits that are that give us power as opposed to take our power. And we have habits as human beings, and that's just we're bundles of them. But we do have the power to change them just by persisting in orienting ourselves, right? Persisting in making these tweaks, persisting in continuing to turn towards that which is more sustainable and life giving, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all of which, just to say, are some some of the things that I think about when I'm trying. I mean, I'm obviously just like a mess of intention—not <laughs> a mess, but like <laughs> a lot of a lot of intention. I'm always trying to think very intentionally about you know, the things, the things that I do and and sustain me and, and habits is, is so, so a part of that. Um, so I'm just sort of sharing some reflections on, you know, all kinds of habits of alcohol or sobriety or what have you.
0: Yeah. I think if you're curious, I, I love the, the idea of just like, well, give it a three to four weeks and see how you feel. It's <laughs> um, our whole shtick.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's true.
0: I love that I do feel like I you know from a personal perspective when I was pregnant and breastfeeding and then immediately got pregnant and was breastfeeding again I went you know about a three-year period where I didn't drink and I didn't necessarily miss it I wasn't like oh I need a drink you know it kind of it brought me the realization that to the realization that it just is not necessary it's not needed um when I engage now I will be honest it's more of like a when I'm stressed or I need a reward, you know, it's not the most healthy scenario or situation where I'm like, I, I deserve this. I just, you know, whatever. Um, and so I think that it's really, really healthy to look and at that relationship continually. It may not be a problem now, but it may be a problem in the future. And I do kind of foresee, and I, when I look forward and just how I want to engage with alcohol, like. I don't want to ever feel like I I need it or um I, you know, here's the thing. I I <laughs> I do feel like I'm always thinking about my aging self. And maybe it's because I don't know, now all of a sudden I'm getting closer to 40, but I'm seeing I'm very visibly seeing the signs of aging. And so I'm always thinking about what are the things that I'm doing. How are they impacting my skin and just my my body and my liver and all those things. And if I were to really be honest with myself, alcohol is doing me no favors. So, and you know, one of the things that I've listened to, and especially when I'm doing interviews with with perimenopause and menopause experts, they're like, your your wine is not you at all. In fact, it's what's really the problem. It's what's causing your liver to struggle and be a little bit, you know, sluggish and how it's processing hormones. It's why you're having these big hormonal swings. It's why you're seeing um, disruption and having symptoms and all the things. So I've always kind of had the idea in my head too, like, yeah, probably when I'm in my mid 40s and approaching menopause, it's going to be time to find something new. It's going to be time to find a new way to relax and so that's what we have to do is say, not just like, well, I got to get rid of it forever, but like, what are the other ways? What are the other habits? Like you were talking about stuff. What are the other things that I can bring into my life that give me the, the relaxation and you know, the the warm and fuzzies? Like for me right now, I'm trying out um I'm doing more sauna stuff because everybody taught every like literally every person in my life is like, you should try saunas, you should try getting a sauna. So I got a sauna blanket. And, you know, they talk about like the post sauna, like happiness, high kind of thing. And um, I get it like it does. It, It makes, you know, relaxes my body, but it also really helps muscle soreness and tension. It's a way to relax. It's, you know, all the things. So um, I think that as we get older, or when we're just trying to be, you know, honest with ourselves and our relationships, we have to find other habits that can bring us relaxation and joy and all the health. Promote.
1: Yeah, I, I really like the idea of, you know, again, we talk about this a lot too. When you're always when you're when you're dwelling on what you're missing or what you're giving up, that's really hard, right? But pivoting your attention to something new, pivoting your attention to um positive whatever, right? Positive things. Uh, that's, that's sort of, it's, it's more compelling. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's the kind of thing that your brain can actually be steered by. And um, so, uh, yeah, I really, I really, I really like all of that. And it's also very interesting, because with so many things you can say, like, well, you know, it's at like this stage in my life. And maybe that's true. But then when the next stage comes do you say, well, this one's special, because Mm-hmm. Um, I do that. I do that. That is uh, definitely something, a way that I kind of license myself to do certain things. You know, I've got this like coffee habit <laughs> and, uh, and and a, a real habit of going out to pay money for coffee at cafes, which unfortunately I adopted when uh, when everything was shut down. And I was, you know, it was something that I really felt like at that point in time was very important for me, but I've held on to it. You know, and I keep being like, well, as soon as I finish this project or as soon as I do that or like because I used to just like take my tea to the library, period. <laughs> right? and, yeah. And, and there were, there are reasons there are legitimate reasons why I, I'm still in in the habit that I'm in. But I go reset myself back down to my baseline. You know, I think also we like build up this like expectation of always having pleasure, always being sustained by stuff in the world. Hmm. You know, like I'm always going to be sustained by this, into this, into this. And all of these things are sort of like we're bouncing from one source of a pit or a pleasure or dopamine this X, Y, Z. Um, But to be able to just like rest in no stuff, you know, that's also that's really powerful because then when you do stuff, it's even more enriching, you know. So anyway. Steph dropping the
0: truth bombs on us. Jeez. Okay, uh, question number 3 is from Elizabeth and then we'll just do one last finisher about date nights. Um okay, so getting she says talk about getting back into exercise postpartum and adjusting nutrition postpartum. Um we have talked we've done some in-depth podcast episodes about this, Elizabeth. Um one of the things and I just want to, you know, because I know we have a lot of new people here and so I just want to touch on a few things. Number 1 is um Just like if you sprained your ankle or injured your knee and you wanted to get back into exercise, you would need to do so in a slow manner with um, very gradual loading. And you probably would do some sort of physical therapy to make sure that your body was engaging again, meaning, you know. Your, the muscles and the tendons and all that kind of stuff, you're not just automatically loading it again, right? You're going to slowly um, make sure that everything's working and activating so that you can start to load again. And that is so true of your body and your pelvic floor, which is the basically the big um, bowl of sort of a muscle that sits right at the base of your torso. Whether you had a baby vaginally or, or a cesarean and it's you had weight sitting there. And so a lot of women deal with pelvic floor dysfunction one way or the other. I didn't deal with dysfunction, but I dealt with something different, which is like a hypertonic pelvic floor, meaning it stayed in constant tension. And when your body stays in constant tension, think of like, um, you doing like a bicep, curl and you just hold it there, you're going to create other massive imbalances. And so even if you're not dealing with, you know, leaking when you're laughing or sneezing or um, pressure or pain, you still need to go see a pelvic floor physical therapist to make sure to for him or her to be able to give you um, like exercises, ways to engage properly. If you struggle with chronic pain or muscle tension or even tightness from chronic stress, I have a new product for you from Bond Charge, and it quite possibly could change your life. Bond Charge is a holistic wellness brand with a huge range of evidence-based products to optimize your life in every way, from blue light glasses to EMF management to their new infrared sauna blanket, Bond Charge has all the high-quality and effective products you are looking for. I use Bond Charge blue light-blocking orange glasses every night, starting two hours before bed, and I wear the computer glasses when looking at screens, both have made such a massive difference in my headaches and sleep. And just last month, I finally invested in a sauna blanket from Bond Charge. I've had my eye on it for a long time because it's the most affordable one out there that provides high quality, far infrared light in a convenient and easy to use blanket setup. I am now 100% a sauna blanket super fan. I look forward to it every night. I typically lay it out on my bed, hit the button to heat it up, and sit inside of it at night while watching TV after the kids go down. Far and Fred Light works by heating the body up directly, which speeds up your metabolism and sweat rate. It also relaxes muscles and reduces muscle tension. And I've already noticed a big shift in my soreness and chronic pain. Ultimately, it's an incredible way to support your lymphatic system and detoxification, which, frankly, we all need to be more proactive about. You will feel relaxed, re-energized, and recover better. If you've been eyeing saunas, I couldn't recommend this more. And we have a deal which you will not find anywhere else. Go to boncharge.com forward slash wellfed and use the code wellfed to save 20%. That's bondcharge, dot com forward slash wellfed. Use the code wellfed to save 20%. That's $140 off your very own sauna blanket. And just you're just training your body again, your entire core. You know, when we're exercising and doing things, it we talk so much about leg day. And, you know, people think about lifting as like overhead press and bicep curls. But really, your core is what is working pretty much 24-7 whenever you're like seated isolation work. But and I n- became so aware of that after pregnancy because I lost all core function. My core was not activating well. My glutes were not activating well, which by the way is part of core stability and function. Um, and I lost mechan- the ability to do certain mechanical movements that just put me in chronic pain. And so I'm so glad that I was able to you know, go back to, I had pelvic floor physical therapy and physical therapy the second time around. I feel like I, you, essentially you just wanna create a strong foundation so that then you can start to load your body again, get your core activating, all that kind of stuff. Or you're just gonna dig yourself a hole and more injury and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I've done a couple interviews about pelvic floor with pelvic floor physical therapists about how to gradually come back and do all those things. There's a lot of great resources. Liz Wolf, one of my friends has done, um, moms, a mom strong program, which is specific for moms. And she has very short workouts that she does that she can show you like 10 minute workouts that just help you engage your core again. Um, So that is all I'll say. And it doesn't have to be within six weeks. It doesn't have to be within six months. I think getting into physical therapy before the six-month postpartum part is better than not, but you can go at any time. So for me, it was like, when do I have the energy again? When did I have the mental capacity to take that on? And it was about four and a half to five months postpartum when I started doing the um, PT work and really even thought about, okay, can I get back into exercise again? Because your body just has so much it's recovering from. The whole six weeks, your clear thing is absolute BS. Um, And then only thing I'll mention about adjusting nutrition is – really depends on and uh, oh so okay so I have two amazing um, interviews with L- Lily Nichols and she talks a lot about nutrition during pregnancy but also thereafter and I have a really great interview with Megan Garcia. I will link to all these in the show notes about um the importance of just nutrition overall pregnancy and and after um I will say I think it's really great for women for that year postpartum to be in a sort of nutrient replenishment state. In our culture, um it's so sad and this is not the way it is around the world, but in our culture, you know, women at 6 weeks postpartum are thinking, "How can I get my exercise? I need to start working out again. I need to start cutting calories." And really, this is the state in which you should be trying to be in an you should be in excess. You should be trying to eat as many nutrient-dense foods, putting your body back in a safe place, eating, you know, to support uh, geez, all the things that you have to do now as as a mother of, of a young child and potentially also breastfeeding and all that stuff. Like you should be in excess. And so I think for that, especially for that year postpartum, it's I need to get my body back online. I need to get my energy back. I need to get my nutrient status back up, because we have literature that shows that it takes a very long time for you to get your nutrient status back after having kids because it's very nutrient bleeding. And then maybe after that year mark, you can say, okay. How do I need to now make adjustments to my nutrition and really dial in what's gonna work for me in this stage of my life? And that, I I had, you know, most women will have to be sort of thoughtful about that because you go from being pregnant, hungry all the time to potentially breastfeeding, hungry all the time. And you're just trying to eat, you know, and stay alive. And then you're like, oh, now I'm like, you know, recalibrating and you have the rest of your life to recalibrate, so don't rush it. But I will say it's just now you can move into a phase of, OK, let's figure out what works for me, you know, getting eating lots of protein, eating sufficient protein, but now deciding how do I want to move my macronutrients around based on the, the stage of life that I'm in, exercise, that I'm doing all those things. Um, last question is from Sam. And she says, can we talk marriage? What do you do for date nights? Um, she said, I know you guys don't go out to eat, so I'd love some ideas, which is funny because I'm like, have I talked about that before? I guess I have. Um what do you do when things get boring? So I actually need to know from the expert, the dating expert herself. Um what do you do for date nights cuz I don't feel like I have
1: a good answer here. Well, I um not a single person has made it past 3 in the last 3 years. So uh-huh. I don't I don't have a whole lot of experience actually uh, dating with people that I've been with for a long time. And uh, I know that people end up in like you get into habits because you know, what works for you, you know, what works for you as a couple, you know, you've you this and that. And, um, and Noel mentioned, I believe I think it was in the last podcast could have been this one um, that the number one person you spend the most time with in your life is your romantic partner. <laughs> And so what I imagine, what I imagine my approach would be, hypothetically, Tell me. Um, is to explore ourselves and the world, right? Yeah. I, that The task is to, you know, you have a foundation together. You have intertwined your lives. You are trees that have done this. I just made my hands do an intertwining mm-hmm. thing um and <laughs> and so then it's like okay well we're tree branches and we still like there's bits of tree these tree branches that we don't know and also we can explore the world and in exploring the world we can steer our trees like growing in really cool ways right so you can grow as a person and as a couple by working to expose yourselves to new stuff and i mean cute things Like, I've never had French food. I've never had sushi. Like, let's go do the cute thing. Or, you know, I've always wanted to try this thing. But that also means comfort zone kind of stuff. Let's like block an afternoon and go try some aerial things. (laughs) Let's go try acro (laughs) yoga. Let's, you know, or this kind of thing is really common these days. Like, buy one of those decks of cards with prompts. Hmm. you know sit on the floor with a blanket or outside under the stars and read those prompts or do an eye contact exercise where you hold eye contact for like 20 minutes you know something but that kind of stuff like what kind of stuff can we do to unpack each other and to explore the world and to see what new like tiers do we keep moving into you know i i think as human beings our potential Range of experiences is conditioned by who we are in this moment. And then you move to a new experience, which conditions the next range of experiences. And so, if you think about where you want to be moving, big picture to, I want to be super adventurous or whatever, then you like sort of start inching yourself that way. Or I want to get really involved in faith. And you kind of start inching yourself that way, you know, we'll go volunteer or do a, all that kind of stuff together. But, um, The the more you sort of open your palate the more you open your palate for ways that you can relate to the world together, like it it might argue that the more possibilities you explore, even the more the more they multiply, because the ways in which you expand yourself, expand the range of things that you can do moving into the forward. So this is like, again, me being way too big picture about something about which I have no real lived experience. (laughs) welcome to my life. Um but those are some big picture like thoughts. No, I love I I love those thoughts. I think they're
0: great and you know looking it's it's hard. Um I we've never even when we were um kind of getting to know each other and all those things before we got married, we never really dated. And <laughs> we're like we went out a few times to go to restaurants and stuff. But what are you doing when you do that? You're, you have a shared experience, you're, you're enjoying a meal together, you're having time to talk. And so I think that the, while we, you know, we try to intentionally do date nights or, or, or go to a place that we love to eat for special events. It's like my birthday and maybe our anniversary, Other than that, we don't have a set date night. And I'm not totally sure if I'd want that at this stage in my life. What we do do intentionally is come up, you know, like you said, Stephanie, experience the world together in different capacities or different ways. Um, And sometimes that's with our kids. You know, we just try to find ways to connect over shared experiences or new things. And I think for us, we really lean towards more. Experiences, which is why we don't do a lot of date nights. is it's, it's not super enjoyable for me to sit in a restaurant over food that I may or may not like. Um, just to be brutally honest, I don't, we're not like restaurant people, but we love good food. So we, you know, the last time we did something together, we ended up, I I kind of was researching, I was trying to find something that we could do together that would be fun. And we found The Office. We both love the show, The Office. And there was like at The Office experience. And they like had this whole thing where you walked through in DC and they said, set up like how it would be on set and um so we did that now that wasn't a date but we went like I guess it was a date but it was like during the day and you know we could go do that together so we really like to do these things where um I kind of always go back to like what connected us and what connected you Sam in the beginning what were you guys excited about and doing together maybe it was for us it was like biking and doing triathlons and we were into sports and we loved watching football and we still love to do all of that we're just not as intentional and so sometimes it's just about being intentional about getting back into the things that you kind of brought you both together and that you're excited about and having those shared experiences again I would love to go on a bike ride with my husband not really feasible right now um But we have done like family bike rides and we both have those shared experiences together. We just went to D.C. on New Year's Day. And even though we had our two kids with us, you know, it's fun for us because we get to kind of experience something new as a family together. And then oddly enough, we do some of our best talking when we're driving on the road together and the kids are in the back or sometimes they're they're watching a show or they're playing or they're sleeping. And like he and I can like knock out like a whole like two or three months worth of stuff that we've been meaning to sit and talk about or things we want to dream about or talking about getting an RV or whatever. And we can sit and talk. So a lot of times it's just carving out the time to connect with each other, to have those conversations, to have those shared experiences in the pockets of your life without it having to be this whole thing where you're paying $100 for somebody to come watch your kids and then you're driving out to a restaurant and paying another $100 and it's like a whole thing. And then it's like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get home because we gotta get, we gotta get kids to bed because my daughter didn't you know, sleep or whatever. Like that may add more stress and that may not be the solution. So um and even, you know, I kind of think about how we connect. We connect on what we enjoy and what we do. So we have the the 5K that we both kind of run together. And so while that's working on something together, it's still a shared experience. It's work, but it's like both of us are passionate about the same cause. And so we get to spend quality time together working on that. So um I'm very blessed in that I do feel like my husband's pretty proactive and he's always trying to do new things and meet new people and come up with new ideas. And he always wants to be doing something new and helping in a new way. And, um, so I just get to kind of be along for the ride, but I do feel like that's when we connect the most is when we're doing something new together. So that's all I got.
1: Sorry. I I wish I had more creative. I think that's really cool
0: creative date night ideas it's just not quite our thing right now and man when our kids are out of the house like i think about that too um like i don't ever want to be like it'll be fun to you know let's let's look forward and say this is a season in which which we do this but when the kids are older and they don't need a babysitter or they're you know out with their friends or they're like maybe we will you know we're gonna like hey we're just going out to a restaurant or hey we're gonna go stay the night and that this hotel or, you know, in DC or wherever, because we want to, we want to have some time together and that'll be a new phase and something new to, to be excited about. So um, anyway, we've gone on long enough. We've talked a lot. Do you have anything else that you want to add? Shaking nope. your head. No, get us off. <laughs> Thanks for being here guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. We love you. Um, more from Stephanie at Stephanie More from me, coconuts at coconuts and kettlebells on Instagram. We will talk to you next time.